Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and compatriot, and the man who, when Pope Francis met him, Pope Francis kissed his ring. <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing, brother? I am very, very well. How are you, Deacon? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. I'm great. You know, it's November, looking toward uh, Thanksgiving and, you know, and uh, all the wonderful things that go with this time of year. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a special shout out to our to our veterans. Absolutely. You know, today being Veterans Day, for thank you for your for your service and for your courage and for uh, standing up for the freedoms that we all enjoy and and too often take for granted. So thank you, all our veterans out there. Absolutely. You know, I think about that every time that I'm sitting at the airport waiting to get on a flight. Uh, they always offer early boarding to our veterans and to uh, that's right and to that's members right. of a- in active duty. And I think uh, thank you very much for your service and for um, for the um, for the gift of your expertise and your time and time away from your families. So thanks to our veterans and also to their families that support them, uh, the many military families uh, across this great nation and uh, and even those abroad who might be listening to us on the podcast. So thank you. That's right. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I just want to also just say thank you to our, our faithful listeners and the many places where Living Stones can be heard on in Ohio, in Kansas, in Indiana, Missouri, Illinois, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Oregon, Washington, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. So awesome. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for listening, for your support, and for uh, pod, listening to the podcast as well. I know uh, many of you have uh, contacted me and said how much you enjoyed the podcast of our show. So uh, just another way to, to reach you. So thank you so much for your for your support. Hey, Ken, so what's going on at the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture there at ND? It, at the beautiful University of Notre Dame. It's uh, it's beautiful. Uh, we've had a great semester. You know, we've had some really interesting folks come through the uh, DeNicola Center this year already. We had uh, George Weigel, who's very well known as the fellow who wrote the biography of uh, Pope John Paul II. He came and did a wonderful book event on his latest book uh, a couple weeks ago, talking about the modern Catholic history. Um, we've had actually the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, who is actually a Catholic and uh, and plays a mean bagpipe. Uh, he came and chatted uh, with us about religious freedom. So it's really been a an uh, interesting semester. I um, ha- also, of course, uh, this this week is our fall conference, which discussed friendship and uh, the meaning mm. of friendship, and uh, so awesome to have just interesting people from across the disciplines talking about how friendship um, is lived out in this modern day and age. You know, it's everything from where Aristotle talks about friendship as the the nurturer of virtues and the, the place where, where um, virtue happens, uh, all the way to, of course, Christ says, you know, I no longer call you slaves, but I have called you friends, you know, and so, uh, and then how does that lived out in our modern day and age? What does it mean 
that somebody is your friend on Facebook when you may never have actually met them or uh, it's so easy to defriend somebody uh, in social media and things like that. So it's really, really interesting. Yeah, that's that's awesome. A friendship. I never really yeah. thought about it that deeply before. That's good. So, uh, and do, so when they have something like this, symposiums, do they um, publish like a like a, a book or like a publication with all the talks in or anything like that or yeah so we don't do what would be considered you know like proceedings of a conference uh, ah, because right. our conference the the Notre Dame Fall Conference that the Danicola Center sponsors we've been doing this for twenty years now is interdisciplinary so typically when you have proceedings from a conference an academic conference it'll be just in one field you know and so though that that book or those papers may be considered really important in advancing the state of a given question or topic in a specific field at that point in time. Whereas our conference, you know, we have architects and poets and podcasters and movie makers and philosophers and theologians. So it's not just one particular area, but it's more topic-based, uh, and in this case, the topic was friendship. And so what ends up happening is that individual speakers will turn their talks into books or articles. So, for example, a couple of years ago, the theme of our conference was Beauty and the Catholic Imagination, and we had the art historian uh, Elizabeth Lev, who is an expert on the Vatican Museums, and she gave a talk on the history of the Vatican Museums and specifically specifically three popes throughout history that had um, made tremendous gifts to the the uh, museum in terms of its foundation and its expansion and its and its access to the world she turned that talk which was about a you know 75 minute talk into a 300 page book which is basically the biography of the Vatican museums and so that was a direct outcome of a talk that she had presented at our fall conference uh, being turned into a resource that uh, people could read and get reference to, you know, no matter where they are, even if they weren't at our conference. So that's kind of one of the ways that we have an impact uh, through, through the Notre Dame fall conference. And it's really a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we have over a thousand people that come and attend at least one or more of the talks and we have a, over a hundred presentations. So it's just really, really fascinating. So, um, Deacon, you know, we have been talking for the last couple weeks. Well, a couple weeks ago, we started a conversation about Christology, kind of a deeper, some of the earliest debates in the history of the church were discussions about who is Jesus Christ. And this particularly arose because of understandings uh, and trying to fully unpack not just the the scriptures which were still relatively new but also the effects that they that these conversations were having on the community of Christians especially as the Christian community was had become something that was no longer underground, but was actually now um, acceptable to be a Christian in public. So uh, last um, week, we or last two weeks, we kind of talked about some of the earliest uh, heresies and, and misunderstandings of Christ. And uh, we're going to pick up that conversation with the first major discussion about Christology and about who Christ was that took place 
after uh, Christianity became a legal religion. Specifically, this ta- this arises at the very beginning of the fourth century, uh, right after Constantine made it legal to become Christian in in public. Yeah, and the, this uh, particular heresy, a lot of people recognize the wording here because of uh, it's in the creed. Yeah, you know, this is one of the statements that's in the creed, and um, you know, this was a heresy called Arianism, and this was dealt with at the council of Nicaea in 325 AD and Arius you know <laughs> you know a lot of these heresies were promoted uh, or promulgated by priests you know or religious yeah. so I, I don't know what the pattern is there but Arius was a priest you know and, and honestly he wasn't trying to um commit heresy with his statement. He's just trying to understand how could God dwell in a human nature how how can how can that happen a creative Everything that exists, everything that will ever exist, how can he join himself to a human nature? What does that look like and how does that happen? And so he was trying in an effort to try to explain that. He basically said that Jesus was a really divine man. So he wasn't God. He wasn't fully fully God or fully man is kind of like a, a demigod, if you will, um, kind of like Superman kind of a thing. <laughs> they said he had a different nature or a different uh, being, substance than the father. Um, so Jesus was something totally different because God had not joined himself to humanity before. So therefore, there's this kind of this new creature that was kind of created. That's basically the gist of what he was uh, of what he was saying. So it's this idea that what we got, what we see in Jesus Christ is not fully human and not fully divine either, is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So there's passages for the New Testament that could kind of support that view, right? So if you look at John 13, 3, it says the Father had given all things into his hands. You know, so, okay, so the Father given all things into his hands. So if he was God, how could the Father give him anything? Mm-hmm. You know, if he if he's a, it would have already has the same nature as God, right? Yeah. Uh, it says uh, in, in Colossians one fifteen says he is the firstborn of all creation. Wait a minute, if he's the firstborn, how could he be born if he's God? Right, right. You see, and then John one three, all things were created through him, right? And in, in John fourteen twenty eight, for the Father is greater than I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, sure, so, sure. You look at verse. I mean, so you can see what Aris again. He wasn't trying to promote heresy per se. He's just trying to understand these passages and who Jesus was and, and then how we can relate to, to Christ. So that's the, that, that's where he was going with this. Yeah. And it really begins with this idea that Arius um, wanted to emphasize the, um, what we would say the impassibility or the, the inability to change and to suffer and the utter transcendence of God. So Arius in his mind is trying to, trying to reconcile that idea. God can't change. God can't suffer. God is utterly transcendent. Therefore, how, how could it be? It, it would seem impossible, he said, that God, that the true God could himself become incarnate, become one of us, could in any way join himself to creation. So there had to be something kind of halfway between, as you said, a demigod. And, you know, it's interesting because this very idea of God being so utterly other than us, so utterly transcendent, 
so utterly unable to suffer by in in virtue of his of his perfection this idea it has it's a uh, it has its continued existence in our day and time too. Our brothers and sisters uh, who profess the Islamic faith say that God is so utterly unlike us that there's no way that God could become human. So, therefore, Jesus Christ for uh, for um, Muslims, Jesus Christ is a very great man, like Arius says. He, you know, he he's a, a great prophet, but he is little more than a prophet. He is not divine, and so in this, because of this, you know, there is an utter unreconcilability between Christianity and Islam. We view Jesus Christ in very different ways. We Christians, the Orthodox Christians, and the teaching which comes out of the Council of Nicaea that we're going to continue uh, to unpack here uh, tonight, this teaching of Orthodox Christianity, meaning true Christianity, we say that Jesus Christ is truly, fully God, as well as truly, fully human. And so there is this, and, and he's unique. There's no question there, but he is more than just a great prophet. He is more than just a, a, a great holy man. He is God himself. So this, this has a practical ongoing importance, uh, this, this particular idea of Arius. So let's, I just kind of wanted to, to share that because I, I think it's important to, to put the, you know, the rubber hits the road and we still see this in, in, uh, in our world this this understanding but we christians say that's not a true understanding of what's taking what's going on here in jesus christ himself yeah and um also has implications for for salvation how, how we understand our relationship with christ in our nature um because for us as catholics you know we see the state of original sin as nature is fallen it's 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 damaged but it was it is healed by Christ uniting himself to that to 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 that human nature. Whereas some of our Protestant brothers and sisters say that we were totally depraved, or total depravity. Um and that Christ came and covered over that nature with his grace. So it didn't actually transform our nature at all, you know, um by Christ becoming incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Um but we say that that um grace builds on nature, right? Grace heals and elevates and perfects human nature. And and we see that in its fullness in the in Christ uniting himself with the human nature. So you have that hypostatic union, right? We have um the Christ uh divine nature um being joined to a human nature without any confusion, change separation or division with, mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. within that within those natures. Uh, and so the word that um, Aris used was called heterousia, or hetero means other, mm-hmm. usia means substance, nature, essence, or being. So he said that Jesus was a heterousia of a of a, 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 another a other substance or uh, nature or being than God okay. himself. Yeah. You see? And so Athanasius, who actually uh, St. Athanasius, who, who actually was a deacon hey, <laughs> at the Council deacons. of Nicaea, and he got elevated later, but but, but uh, he was a, a paritus, a theological expert to his bishop uh, at the Council of Nicaea, and he proposed uh, something called homoousias, or Jesus was the same, homo means same, mm-hmm. uh, so, so it's the same nature, substance, essence, the Father. And that word 
homoousias is translated into Latin as consubstantialis, and hence the word consubstantial in the creed. Right. You know, because we said we said before we said one in being with the Father. Yeah. You know, but that but if you you know if you say it like that, there could be a tendency toward what we talked about uh, previously, modalism. Mm-hmm. You know that they're they're both you know the same. It just you know it just takes out the Father mass, puts on the Son mass. Right. You know, kind of Sibelian way of looking at looking at it. But um, so the the church wanted to use more precise language in the creed, and so we use the word that. Um, that the St. Athanasius used at the council here con to describe the relationship between guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that, of course, being, you know, con with substance, the, a like substance, uh, not not just like, but the same substance. Yes. Uh, and and it's important that, that we draw that distinction. It's not a like substance. It's not similar to, but it's the same substance. Because the similar to is also another, uh, in Greek... Yeah, semi-Aryan. Yeah, yeah. semi-Aryanism. <laughs> that's, that's homoi, that's homoiousios. Yeah, that's adding that little letter uh, I in there. Right, homoiousios, yeah. which is actually something called semi... that's proposed by semi-Aryanism. So, so after this was all approved, there was a movement... Uh, the Arabism still wanted to hang on. So they tried to do a compromise. They said, well, okay, uh, we won't say that he's of, of another substance. We won't say he's the same. We'll say he's similar. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be the compromise. And semi-Arianism, in, in, a, in a sense, even went on further than Arianism did. Yeah. You know, before it was finally... Uh, Quelched and and uh, people and it, it came under the full understanding of the church which we have today that he's Jesus of course is God so he's of the same uh, shares the same divine nature. You know this all of this takes place at the Council of Nicaea which was actually um, convoked or gathered by uh, the Emperor Constantine because the Emperor Constantine saw this this heresy of arianism beginning to tear at the social structure of the empire and he said look you bishops need to get together and settle this question and really constantine said i i don't care how you settle it because he was no he was not exactly a theological expert he probably wasn't even baptized until his deathbed but um but he said just settle the question and get together and and take care of this and the council under the leadership as you mentioned of of uh Athanasius, in terms of kind of theological reflection, Athanasius proposed this quest, this word homoousius or, or of the same substance. Uh, and the council said, yes, this, this fits with us. But it was interesting because the council as a, as a body of bishops, they voted and, and said, this, this is what we believe to be the Orthodox truth that didn't eliminate Arianism, Arianism proper, um, People left the council and continued to say, well, we, yeah, I don't know, you know, and this is where semi-Arianism was, you know, kind of uh, struggled and hold, held on. Arius himself, the priest, um, continued to, like, like he was excommunicated, but he continued to be, actually, this is an interesting thing. He was a, considered a very holy man. Part of the force of his teaching was that he was attractive in terms of his personal holiness. And during the council, there's a story told that a, the Bishop of Myra, which is in Turkey, uh, a, a bishop whose name was Nicholas, Nicholas uh, was 
so angered by Arius's teaching that he walked across the the council hall and slapped Arius, or some say he punched Arius in the face. Um, and this Nicholas of Myra is uh, somebody who's rather famous because Nicholas of Myra is Saint Nicholas himself, uh, the great Nicholas of Santa Claus <laughs> fame. And uh, so um, you'll always see a meme, and I know you'll see it coming up here on his feast day, the 6th of December. Uh, I always love this icon of, of uh, Nicholas, and it says, I've come to bring presents and punch heretics in the face, and I'm all out of presents, you know? <laughs> so that's one of my favorites. But uh, whether or not he actually punched him or, or more, you know, kind of slapped him uh, uh, in the idea of uh, saying it's inappropriate, you know, kind of chiding him, uh, however it happened, there was indeed a conflict that eventually gets settled, but it doesn't completely eradicate Arianism, as you've indicated, Deacon. You know, the, the ideas kind of lived on afterward. And Athanasius, this great St. Athanasius, who, after the council, returned home to his, his town of Alexandria uh, and ended up becoming elevated to the bishopric, he ended up exiled at least five times from Alexandria because the Arians would would continue to exist and they would take over and they would uh, drive him out and then he would he, uh, the people would rise up and welcome him back and the Arians would drive him up back and forth and forth and back the story of the life of Athanasius is absolutely fascinating yeah what a wonderful figure in the church and uh, again his teaching so uh, powerful that we include it in our creed that we say every every Sunday. You know, he goes on in his his great uh, his great document is called uh, on the incarnation of the word uh, and St. Athanasius talks about kind of the importance of God of Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. Uh, and and um, a friend of mine wrote some reflections on this, a friend of mine named Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, much like Athanasius was deacon at the Council of Nicaea. Um, and he talks about how when we turn from God in whose image we are made, you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God. When we sin, we turn away from God and back towards the nothingness from which we were created. And so it is only God who was cre- who was not created from nothing, but who is indeed substance itself and existence itself. It is only God who can restore us back to existence and restore us back to actual living substance. And so Jesus Christ, in order to save us, had to, simply put, he had to be God. Otherwise, he was just another man save and trying to save other people and that simply doesn't work it's simply nothing comes from nothing as they say well you see that pattern uh throughout the uh the covenants of the old testament you know time after time after time god established a covenant was broken established a covenants broken established covenant broken. finally he had to have the new and eternal covenant Mm-hmm. Right. So. So. And the only way that you can establish an eternal covenant, you have to have an eternal God uh, uh, offer himself. Yeah. So how do you do? How does God offer himself by becoming united to a human nature that could die? Yeah. You know, uh, so I mean, it's just it's just extraordinary how much God loves us. And that's really the bottom line with all of this. It really comes down to uh, the power of God's love in our life and and the recognition and, and the understanding of God really, truly does love us to death literally yeah each and every one of us usque ad mortem as it says to the point of death even death on a cross is how much god loved us yep that's right 
and uh, gave us gave us his son. You know, it's beautiful. And beautiful who died so we could live. And this drives us back to the sacraments themselves, which are the living encounters with the saving act of Jesus Christ. When we receive Christ in the Eucharist, we aren't receiving just a piece of created bread and wine. We are receiving God himself, the eternal God in the appearance of flesh and blood and the appearance of bread and wine, but it is God himself feeding us and giving us and putting us in communion with his own divinity and his saving act on the cross, which is why what takes place on the altar is the unbloodied representation of what takes place on the crucifix, on the cross. And so when we encounter Christ in the Eucharist, when we encounter the words of mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation, when we encounter at the beginning of our Christian life, the washing generation of baptism in the blood of Christ as represented by the water, when we receive the anointing oil sealing us in the Holy Spirit, All of these acts are encounters with the triune God, the saving God, the creating God. All of these are invitations and restorations to divine life, which is what we are created for, what we and what Christ came to redeem. So these are great gifts that we that are available to us every time we cross the threshold of the church, every time we encounter um our our priests every time we we walk into the confessional we are invited to encounter the divine god yeah and and the these graces the sacraments only have power in our lives we cooperate with that grace you know and and so and and you know we see a kind of a dearthy and eucharistic belief today that people actually have issues or trouble believing that jesus christ is present body, blood, soul, divinity in the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, he's not just uh, existing with the Eucharist. I mean, with the, what looks like bread and wine, the substance uh, of what that is, 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 is completely God, you know? Um, and, and so people have a hard time believing that. So it's almost like this kind of Arianism again. That's right. You know, How you know, can like, that appear to you know, me? In our, yeah. in our day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In our day today, you know? And so uh, it's good to kind of step back and take a look at how the church dealt with these things and how uh, our, our faith has led us into deeper intimacy with Christ. You know, it's exactly what uh, what um, Athanasius helped to do. Absolutely. In his uh, formation at the um, consubstantial nature of, of God. So beautiful. And we'll remember it every time we recite the creed. But uh, we're going to have to come back and pick up the conversation next week, Deacon, because believe it or not, our time has come to an end, like all good things. God goes, goes by so goes fast by so every fast, time. Indeed. So how can people stay in touch with us? We're on Twitter at Catholic Stones. We're on Facebook, Living Stones Media. We're on the web at livingstonesmedia.org. And you can always download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. So many ways to contact your favorite Deacon and, and me. I mean, it's great. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we uh, have a blessing to get us through the week? Sure. My mighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. 
That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.